This is Valor Radio. Valor, strength of mind and spirit that enables a person to face danger with resolve and determination in battle or in any other situation. Valor, like that displayed by veterans of every branch of the military throughout our community. This radio show, Valor Radio, salutes all of you who have raised your right hands to volunteer to protect and preserve our unique American way of life. Thanks for joining us and your brothers and sisters in uniform. Now, Valor Radio. Good morning and welcome to Valor Radio. This is Colonel Paul Simonelli here with Captain Steve Mamano, uh, Dr. Rob Aronson, and Bobby D. on the control panel. Bob's taking a well-needed rest today, so you're stuck with us. <laughs> we'll get started. We'll get right into it. Steve, how are you today? I'm doing okay, buddy. Good. Bobby, you doing all right? Doing great, thanks. Just back from vacation? Yep, a little uh, rest and relaxation in Florida, but I got out while the getting's good. All right. All right, and welcome, Doc. Uh, Thank you you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So uh, we were uh, sharing some stories this week and uh, things we might use on the show, and one popped up, and as long as we've got uh, Doc Aronson here with us, I thought I'd bring up this uh, one that we shared involving uh, about 5,000 pilots, commercial pilots, of of which they say about 600 are airline pilots. Uh, And there's an allegation that these folks have not been uh, reporting medical conditions that uh, they've reported to the VA or to the military in order to get some sort of compensation from the VA, and that uh, might lead this might lead to them not being safe to fly. Um, now, I'm not real familiar with the FAA guidelines, but it appears that uh, uh, much of what the pilots do um, or conditions that are reported are self-reported, and then uh, the FAA takes a look at them. So uh, now they've said they've... Uh, Put about I don't know 25 or so on the bench that had more serious allegations of illness. Um, I think this is probably not something that's uncommon. There's a lot of folks that are getting some sort of VA compensation that are still functioning, fully functioning, and uh, uh, most people when they leave the military are leaving with some level of VA compensation. Right? Was that your experience, Steve? Yes, it is. Um, I th- I think that most people when they when they get out uh, when they do their little you know their little consultation with their service officer they they end up getting something. I mean, it's, it may not be a hundred percent disability, or it's probably going to be forty percent. Or I mean, there's always something that they that they find that uh, that follows them in the civilian life. So yeah, I think that's pretty common. So, uh, you know, we would hope that uh, the pilots are reporting uh, 
anything that could affect their ability to fly. You would hope so. Safely. Right. Oh, jeez. Um, I mean, this is mind-blowing stuff. I when I when I read it, I thought maybe it was something out of Babylon B. Right. Uh, but you can imagine, um, you know, people could have ailments. So you know, we were just speculating. You know, they mentioned uh, PTSD or depression or other things like that that might be affecting the pilot that they're getting compensation for. Um, unfortunately. Uh, you know, part of the issue is with the whole compensation system, um, you know, if, if you say certain words when you're in a physical mm-hmm. or getting an evaluation, you get a certain level of coverage. If you don't say those words, right, um, it doesn't happen. I, so, you know, I guess the allegation here is that... Uh, you know, these pilots are otherwise healthy to fly, but said the right words mm-hmm. so that they get some compensation. You know, I, I, I would think that you may be right about um, the PTSD thing or maybe depression or something, because I know that a lot of people are reluctant to um, to to uh, bring up those uh, any kind of mental illness, because, you know, if, if they end up going on some kind of uh, medication for their depression or for attention deficit or something like that 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 affects their ability to 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 pass their flight physical so i would think that quite a few of them keep that kind of stuff on the qt and i don't know doc what do you see what do you think about this well the the faa certainly has their criteria of who should fly and who should not Mm -hmm. and um these uh pilots uh, you know, if they go to a physician, they have their physical exam, they get a mental status exam, that's all documented in the physician's record. Uh-huh. And although, um, you know, I, I don't like the HIPAA rules, I call them the hippopotamus rules, <laughs> um, but the uh, FAA could communicate with the physician directly and instead of the self-reporting by the pilots. And then, and then the physician would be on the hook for uh, accurately reporting the pilot's medical conditions. Uh, and if, if the uh, pilot need, has a, a, a psychological um, factor to consider, then a psychiatrist uh, may uh, have to be involved. But, but I, I would probably um, have the FAA link directly with the physician who's evaluating the pilot. You, you would think something like flying, um, that the pilots have to sign a release. I mean, it's just like when uh, law enforcement agencies hire. Uh, you know, they get a general release from the candidates right. to get any and all uh, medical records that may be out there. Um, now, part of the issue is, uh, for instance, in New York State, uh, there's some extreme exceptions to HIPAA, and the VA says, believe it or not, the VA says, no, we're not going to follow New York state law. We're going to follow federal law. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, there may be limitations, apps and a release, but I can't believe that if someone getting a commercial pilot license doesn't have to sign a full release for any and all of his medical records. So... Um, I think this is interesting, and of course now 
the Justice Department's involved because they're, you know, figuring out whether or not there's some fraud on the part of these pilots Ooh. saying one thing to the VA and saying something else to the FAA so they can keep flying. Well, if the problem is that prevalent, they may be they may want to be careful about how they do it because they they're going to put themselves in a position where a lot of these guys are going to be grounded and uh, and they're going to be in a crisis because right now I think. I think pilots are probably at a premium, I, w- I would think. For sure. Yeah. I, I think I saw um, the Navy and the Air Force. What did we saw? We saw those bonuses were in excess of $100,000 a year yeah. to try to keep some of the uh, higher-end pilots that are in the Navy and the Air Force right That's now. That's crazy. Uh, I never thought I'd I see the day when they, they would have to entice people to stay in naval air to, uh, by giving them money because there was no amount of money that could keep them away from from going into naval air before it was just one of those things if you if you had the bug you were going in yeah so i, I worked with a guy he was my xo uh in afghanistan and he was a b1 navigator wow now he hadn't been in a b1 in about eight or nine years but the way the air force does it a lot of the non-flying slots are coded as uh, for flyers. Mm-hmm. So he continued to get his uh, retention. So he was making more than the commanding general we worked for. Wow. Was uh, he really? I think back then he was getting about a $60,000 bonus because there was only a handful <clears throat> handful of B-1 navigators mm. in the Air Force. Um, so I think, I think they're all at, like in, they're all concentrated in... Just a couple places or one or two places, huh? Right. Dias, right when they're in flying that, slots. Yeah. and That's a uh, cool place. You ever seen one of those things fly, the B-1B? I've seen it fly. Yeah, I saw one take off from Oceana, where, or I'm sorry, Selfridge, up in Michigan. And it was impressive, I'll tell you what. That is a badass aircraft. It, it's well, too bad there are not too many of them left, but uh, that, w- that was pretty impressive. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll follow the story and see what happens. And uh, we'll see where we go from there. Right. Uh, we started following the Icebreaker Saga oh, the Icebreaker about saga. four or five years ago. Um, the U.S. has two. The Coast Guard has both of them. Right. They're Coast Guard, um, right. One of them is always broken, and more times than not, uh, the uh, other, one, the second one's broken. And they've been talking about for the last half decade <laughs> about building a new one. And they compare it to the number of Russian icebreakers that exist and some of the other countries. I think Russia had 80 or 90 icebreaker-capable um, ships. That, that's, uh, that's incredible when you think about it. I mean, we, we're, we're down to one heavy icebreaker, the, the U.S. Coast Guard Cutter Polar Star. And it was put in service in 1976. Wow. All right, so I'm hearing some music. We'll take a break here on Valor Radio. Uh, We'll be back with more on Icebreakers right after this break. Your go 
go-to for standard of specialized business insurance coverage. MGM Associates of Rochester, now serving the region and beyond in New York. Since 1984, MGM has provided leading coverage from a wide range of carriers. Not only home, condo, boat, motorcycle, and auto, but also specialized policies for all types of businesses, including nonprofits and law firms, livery insurance, property insurance, and bonds for all needs. MGM Associates of Rochester provides auto, workers' comp, health care, and liability coverage. Choose from virtual appointments or good old in-office, in-person consults by appointment at our Penfield office. Five-time consecutive winner of the National Best Practices Award, MGM is proud to support veterans groups. For your personal business, home, or professional insurance needs, meet the experienced staff at MGM Associates. Locally and proudly owned at 1745 Penfield Road in Penfield, 381-7008, or mgminsure.com. An associate of Finger Lakes Fire and Casualty, Route 227, Trumansburg, New York. The colors are red for valor, white for innocence, and blue for justice. Our nation's flag proclaims liberty for all, and our military service members continue to fight for the right to live in freedom. Honor their service and sacrifice with an American-made flag from the Stars and Stripes Flag Store. Visit eflagstore.com to shop now. All proceeds support Veterans Outreach Center and local veterans. Join Abate Monroe County, American bikers aimed toward education and help adult bikers ride free and safe. Check out our meetings on the third Friday monthly at Wise Guys Diner and Catering, 2811 Dewey Avenue. Join Abate for less than 50 cents a week. Google Abate Monroe County on the web. Hey, how about becoming a member of the National Warplane Museum in Geneseo, New York? Help us preserve history. Plus, you get some pretty fancy benefits. Visit us online, nationalwarplanemuseum.com. Hello? Uh, I'm a Marine. It took me a long time to make this call. If you or a veteran in your life is experiencing thoughts of suicide, dial 988, then press 1 to reach the Veterans Crisis Line. From Niagara Falls to the Adirondacks and from Canada to Pennsylvania, you're listening to Valor Radio. So we can always tell when Bobby D's in the control room... (laughs) (laughs) Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, boy Always the marching music I like it I do too I do too it, it just, Off we go uh, in the flying Yonder Yeah, so Steve, we're talking about icebreakers Yes, we so are So the one icebreaker we have Has a critical mission every year To head down to uh, South America Or to the South Antarctic yeah. To resupply all the scientists in that area. <laughs> and more than one time in the last decade, that ship has broken down and had to, we've had to, the country's had to hire a foreign ship to go in and break ice to get it out How and tow it out of there. When you think about it, we, we have to, we have to co- go hat in hand to somebody and say, hey, can you, can you give us a ride? You know, can you give, give us, us a tow? Yeah. It's like, yeah, give us a tow. <laughs> That's what it amounts to, and um, I'm sure they get a big kick out of it. And sometimes so, they don't. They don't uh, agree to do it. They'll say, uh, no. "Well, we'll we'll get you when we can do it," and then you're going to have to wait. And then they keep us waiting. So. Well, I think uh, I think if most people knew, I mean, we've got how many ships in the Navy? Uh, how many ships in the Coast Guard? Yeah, well, not we we're going to talk about that a little later on. Yeah, but. Uh, um, well, the, the, to, nice, the nice thing about the icebreaker is that the, for the first time in 50 years, 
we're getting new construction uh, for the Coast Guard uh, icebreaker. There's a shipyard in uh, uh, Pascagoula, Mississippi, which has begun uh, cutting steel for the U.S. Coast Guard cutter Polar Sentinel. It's uh, designated PSC-1. So that that will, but uh, who knows how long it's going to take to get that one in the in the inventory. So in the meantime, we got to make it with the Polar Star and the Healy, U.S. Coast Guard Cutter Healy, which was a, a 1999 sh- uh, ship, but um, it's it just doesn't have the capacity and it doesn't have the ability to break ice like the big one. And sometimes you, down in the South Pole, you really need a, a heavy icebreaker. It gets very cold down there, and, and the ice is quite thick. So, You know, I uh, several times I took uh, a ship from Finland over to Estonia oh. and in the middle of the winter. And I, I was amazed that, uh, you know, they used an icebreaker to keep that route clear. Um, and to see them in action is a pretty amazing thing. I'll bet. Uh, but... Uh, no, this is uh, this is just sort of foolishness that a, a country, a nation of our size. I mean, why didn't we? Why aren't we building two of them? Uh, I I don't know. I really don't. You no, know, what what do we say? Uh, two is one, one, and one is none. <laughs> um, you have to assume, especially with things in the military, especially with the navy, right? Yeah, one, for every I, ship, every two ships, only one is functioning. And there's a lot of militarization right now of the poles. Uh, right. I mean, the Russians are are planting flags all over the North Pole right now, and and I'm sure that the Chinese are going to be doing the same thing. And if that's the case, then we're going to have to have a, a steady presence down there, and we're going to have to logistically support it. So that means icebreakers. Yeah. So we might as well get used to it. We're going to need them. Yeah. So uh, another thing that. Uh may affect readiness of our military and start the discussion again. Um, as long as we've got the doc here with us today, uh, we heard the president uh, announced this past week that uh, he signed an uh, order to pay for a new COVID vaccine. Uh-oh. Uh, here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. Um, doc, i got to ask you, where, where are we at... Is COVID vaccine, is that going to be a normal part of life going forward? Unfortunately, yes. The, 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 the vaccine, <clears throat> it's, it's different than the influenza vaccine. The influenza vaccine not only protects the person who gets the vaccine, but it prevents spread of influenza to other people. The COVID vaccine doesn't do that. It protects you. Uh, from serious illness and hospitalization and death, but it doesn't prevent you from spreading COVID to other people. And that's the difference between influenza and and COVID as far as the vaccines go. So, um, again, I I would not recommend the COVID vaccine for children or for uh, young men in the age group of, uh, let's say, under 25, 25 and under. But um, for people like myself who are immunocompromised and older people, people over the age of 65, the the vaccine is beneficial. And those are the people you want to protect. 
the the healthy people in in the country or in the world, um, the mortality rate is so low that um, you know it's it's kind of optional with with these people. Although I, I will say that. Um, there have been healthy people who have contracted COVID and had long COVID uh, symptoms uh, for a year and a half, two years. Uh, but they are the minority for sure. So, uh, you know, from our non-scientific perspective, you know, we see how this has become a political uh, hot potato. Yeah. And unfortunately, that seems to control the narrative for this and, uh, and control is the word right and so this is going to be a hard sell i think uh after what people went through with the lockdowns and the masking and you know uh, we're still seeing people driving their cars by themselves with a mask <laughs> <laughs> uh, anybody can do what they want i have no problem but you know, well, the other thing too, it, Paul, is that now, now, uh, if if this vaccine comes uh, is uh, issued, uh, the government's, you know, everybody's accustomed to the government paying the freight. In this case, I think it private uh, insurance is now going to have to pay for. It. Is that is that the case? I I don't know yet. We'll see what happens when they put it out there um, about whether it's going to be subsidized by the government or not. I mean, obviously, the government's subsidizing the research and production, um, but I think people have just lost confidence in the. A lot of people lost confidence in the government. I agree. And it's going to take, you know, more than an announcement in the rose garden to, uh, mm -hmm. you know, instill some level of confidence on whether to take uh, another shot. So is is the difference so. You're saying with the COVID vaccines, they don't um, protect you from spreading it to anyone else. That's, that's correct. The influenza will. The COVID vaccine will not. Is that because the basic nature of the vaccine is different? Or what, why is that? That's a tough question. I'm not <laughs> sure we have the answer to that. Okay. All right. Is it... But is the COVID vaccine different by its very nature on how it's developed compared to the influenza? Yes, it's, yes. I mean, this is messenger messenger RNA technology, which has been probably going on for the past 10 years. But uh, now we're seeing it in its infancy and in, in being distributed to the populace. Wasn't there uh, some... Uh, bad effects or ill effects identified with uh, the mnRNA yeah. uh, that kept it from being used in uh, some in, in generally in vaccines yes the, as I mentioned before young men in their 20s have had uh, a small incidence of um, cardiomyopathy uh, mm. where the heart can become enlarged and um, cardiac muscle function reduced. So for us uh, uh, mere mortals here, does that, when we hear about people on the football field dropping or on the basketball court, or uh, is it, that's 
the type of thing we would see when this happens? Maybe, but the athletes, um, having been a physician for a professional basketball team, uh, these athletes are so well conditioned that they have kind of hypertrophic cardiac muscle to begin with. <laughs> and the, the, the athletes who drop, uh, they may have con conduction abnormalities of the heart, uh, or they may have a condition called um, idiopathic hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, where when the heart's beating vigorously, there's actually obstruction of blood flow out of the heart. And uh, if the blood doesn't reach the brain, then they will collapse. Well, I'm hearing some music. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, where medicine and politics come together here on Baylor Radio and uh, how it's affecting the military right now. We'll be back shortly after this break. It's good to have you back again Oh, hey, 98.6 Her loving is the medicine that saved me Oh, I love my baby From Niagara Falls to the Adirondacks And from Canada to Pennsylvania You're listening to Valor Radio All right. Well, we're back with more Valor Radio. So we can tell the age difference between uh, Doc Savage and Bobby D. <laughs> right, Steve? Yeah, Bon Jovi is not on at, at the top of Bob's list. Anyway. <laughs> but we love it. Uh, so we were talking about uh, the new uh, COVID vaccine. And uh, Doc brought up during the break that uh, folks in Israel are working on a uh, medication. Yeah. yeah, medication that will block the gateway of the virus from entering, entering the cells. Uh, and it's called the angiotensin converting enzyme receptor. And all the COVID viruses, they all share, <clears throat> excuse me, they all share the pathway to get into your cells. So if you put up a gatekeeper, keep them out of the cell, it doesn't matter how many variants come by, they're not going to get in. And, of course, Paul the Cynic <clears throat> asked, why aren't the U.S. pharmaceuticals company doing this? Why aren't they doing it, this research? And uh, I guess I would answer myself and say uh, a new vaccine once or twice a year means a lot more to their bottom line than a medication that takes this out of COVID out of contention is an issue uh, for the general population. So I hate to be cynical, but uh, I can't understand why we wouldn't be driving forward with this research uh, ourselves here. So we'll continue to monitor this. And, you know, it came up before the break, and we are talking during the break, what is this going to do to recruitment if uh, the Department of Defense mandates these ongoing uh, vaccines that uh, 
I think people have lost confidence in the government and in, in pharmaceutical companies right now. And uh, we've got a horrible situation with recruitment. Uh, the Army's fallen short. Even with reducing the number of people they were trying to bring in, they're, they're falling short the last couple of years, 18,000, 12,000. Um, and it just can't seem to uh, get over that hump. Uh, and I think this is all the services. They're saying all the services, but the space uh, space uh, um, Force, services yeah. uh, are, are experiencing this. <clears throat> so uh, obviously another vaccine is going to have a negative impact on recruiting along with all the other issues. Uh, you know, people are feeling right now, I think, how they felt in the mid-'70s. Uh, there wasn't a lot of confidence in the military after Vietnam, and it really took a rebirth, you know, when Ronald Reagan came in uh, to refocus on on the military and and rebuilding the military and making it into, you know, an unbelievably capable force. Uh, but I think we're going through that. I, I guess if you, if you live long enough, you're going to see these uh, cycles. I don't know. What do you think, Steve? You were coming up the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just remember um, I, I I would just remember when Ronald Reagan became president that it was a a complete change in in outlook for the military. It was um, the leadership was energized the the uh, the pop the populace really wanted to go in the military at that point. It was um, and 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 our mission seemed to pick up. I mean, in 1983, uh, 82, 83. Um, we got involved in, in uh, military operations, places like Grenada, and you know. Then we had, uh, you know, later on we'd have Panama and all these other smaller wars. But um, it didn't seem to deter people from going in. People really wanted to serve, and they wanted the new technology. And there was a shipbuilding program like nobody's business, and uh, the Marine Corps was being sent uh, into to, uh, places like Beirut. And even when there were Debacles and, and 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 setbacks like there was in in Beirut, the there was never uh, a, um, a a hitch in in the recruitment program. Not at all, and but it was substantive too. <clears throat> I know when I got to my first tank platoon in October of eighty one, I had five tanks and three of them didn't run, hmm. and it wasn't because you know they didn't want to fix them; right. they just weren't parts. But I would tell you, within three or four months, it was like the floodgates opened. And my first gunnery, I took all five of my tanks to gunnery. Um, and it, it seemed like a major accomplishment, seeing how they'd been sitting in the motor pool forever and, and not, op, not being not operational. So even down, at, it just made you feel good when you went home at night. Well, I bet the the addition of the uh, Abrams tank probably didn't hurt hurt your uh, you know your community's development. I, I would no, think but that I, was a pretty I, big deal at the time. It was gigantic, yeah. gigantic, and uh, but we were still working you know with the M60 series uh-huh. for the most part, and then they started fielding uh, the M1 mm-hmm. to you know the highest tier units. Um, right. So, but I was dealing with M60 series tanks, and like I said, just the the sheer satisfaction and joy of you know watching all five of those tanks roll out of the motor pool and go to gunnery when people 
told me that you know three of those tanks hadn't been out of the motor pool in two or three years. Um, yeah, but you know that the, they knew of. There, there, there was a uh, there was a sense back then that that the U.S. military was coming back, and that we were being able to meet the uh, the, the threat, which was at that time the Soviet Union, and we never saw any any reduction in uh, in, in readiness uh, for things like. Operation Bright Star or Reforger or, uh, you know, and, and the Navy had major exercises up in the Norwegian fjords. And, I mean, the, there was never any hesitation to get us involved in another exercise. I find that today we, we, we really don't know where to send our, our, our Navy anymore. We don't, we don't have enough Navy to send, and we have to be very judicious about it. And, and right now the focus <clears throat> is on partnerships, and I just saw where – we just got in, involved in a naval exercise with the, um, the Aussies and, uh, and, and a couple other uh, uh, partners up there. Uh, but usually we were the major player. Now I think we're, we're just pretty much in it with the others because we don't have the, the force that we had before. We sure don't. And, you know, one of the issues with recruitment that we keep coming back to is op-tempo or yep. re-enlistment mm-hmm. is right. the op-tempo. They're saying, even though we're out of Afghanistan, we're out of Iraq, mm-hmm. that given the size of the services right now, that the deployments are at a higher pace than even during the peak of Iraq and Afghanistan. So people that are in are constantly coming and going. You know, they try to do a, a three-year cycle or a 24-month cycle, worst case, and it's like an 18-month, you know, Six months gone, six months recovering, six months gone again, and that that is not a, an easy thing to sell to people no. who are who are not. I mean, if you if you're used to the military, if you're from a military family, you understand it. But if you're telling people who are accustomed to being around their their families, um, you know, who are, are, are who stay generally stay close to home, and you're trying to entice them to go in the military. The idea that they're not going to have any downtime, that they're going to be constantly on a string going back and forth, is not appealing. Absolutely not. You know, I'd draw one more comparison to 1981 uh, when Reagan came in. At the end of the Vietnam War, I think the senior leaders in the military knew that it was broken. And those that stuck around were committed to retooling how the military did business, especially the Army. I know specifically That's a very about good the Army. point. I really think you're and right about now, that. now the senior leadership has they have you know, other They this. have other things in mind. They have, a, right. they have an ulterior motive. They have different agendas. And the agenda, you know, for the, in the 81 was to get us back on track to meet the threat. And I don't see that uh, same dedication today. No. Uh, and once again, I know, you know, we're – we see things through a filter that the media wants us to see it and mm-hmm. politicians want us to see it. Right. But it, it seems like the senior leadership of the military has changed their focus. Now, neither of us are in anymore, so we're not seeing it firsthand. But what we're hearing, public statements by folks, senior leaders, um, it seems the priorities they, have changed dramatically you, than they were in the end of the 70s. You sent me we one article to, that was talking about the um, the backlash or the um, the resistance that, that's being registered on, on by, by flag officers. 
and, and, uh, and some of the statements that they've made in, recently in the press that indicate that they're not they're not going to be happy with uh, you know if a, a Republican administration comes in they're they're going to have to be sold on a lot of this stuff because their social agenda is very firm. I mean they they're they're talking the talk right now and making the Democrats sound like. They're sages because, uh, and, and I'll tell you, some of the st- statements I heard coming out of the mouths of, of, of admirals and generals are just baffling. I've never heard military men talk about the importance of LGBTQ, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the culture in the military. And, and, and there's so much <clears throat> going on right now that I would think that that would be a low priority relatively. Well, you know— I think the root of this goes back, and I'm going to blame uh, George Bush for this. We went into Iraq. For what reason? Do we, you know, I think there's a lot of questions about whether it was a thing to do or not. But we lost an entire generation of potential senior leaders. Anybody, any general officer, one or two star, um, that had a significant role in Iraq, you know, by the second half of Bush's second term, the administration wouldn't put them up for a third or fourth star because it turned into a, you know, a, a, their their Senate confirmations turned into a discussion about whether we should have gone into Iraq or not. And, and so I think we lost a whole generation of potential senior leaders in the military. And then, you know, we got into the next administration with Obama and we saw just the emphasis change, and now we're reaping uh, the results of what's been occurring for the last 12 or 15 years. Yeah, you can say so, what you want about the people that were fighting under Bush, but they were not risk-averse leaders. They, were, they wanted to get into the fight, and that's what you want your leaders to, to, to be capable of. You, you, don't, you don't want to have to sell your leadership on, on a fight. They, right. They, 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 you march them in a direction and you say, go, go this way and proceed, and they go. But you don't want to have to talk them into fighting. All right. Well, you know, I have to stand up now because Bobby's playing the Army song, but we've got to take a break here on Valor Radio. <laughs> we'll be right back. Your go-to for standard of specialized business insurance coverage. MGM Associates of Rochester, now serving the region and beyond in New York. Since 1984, MGM has provided leading coverage from a wide range of carriers. Not only home, condo, boat, motorcycle, and auto, but also specialized policies for all types of businesses, including nonprofits and law firms, livery insurance, property insurance, and bonds for all needs. MGM Associates of Rochester provides auto, workers' comp, health care, and liability coverage. Choose from virtual appointments or good old in-office, in-person consults by appointment at our Penfield office. Five-time consecutive winner of the National Best Practices Award, MGM is proud to support veterans groups. For your personal business, home, or professional insurance needs, meet the experienced staff at MGM Associates. Locally and proudly owned at 1745 Penfield Road in Penfield, 381-7008 or mgminsure.com. An associate of Finger Lakes Fire and Casualty, Route 227, Trumansburg, New York. The colors are red for valor, white for innocence, and blue for justice. Our nation's flag proclaims liberty for all, and our military service members continue to fight for the right to live in freedom. 
Honor their service and sacrifice with an American-made flag from the Stars and Stripes Flag Store. Visit eflagstore.com to shop now. All proceeds support Veterans Outreach Center and local veterans. As a veteran of the United States military, I can finally get the opportunity to enjoy special events, things that we couldn't afford, thanks to Ventix. Every empty seat at a concert, a game, or a play is a missed opportunity to say thanks to a veteran and service member. We can give our veterans a special event where they, too, can create their own cherished memories. Visit VetTix.org. Find out how you can make a difference in a veteran's life. You're listening to Valor Radio with Colonel Paul Simonelli. And now it's Captain Steve's turn to stand in studio. (laughs) (laughs) On your feet, Swabby. He is, and he's saluting. (laughs) All right, so, Paul, I understand Steve wanted to talk about some Navy things. Take it on, Steve. I had to sit down first and... The song is still playing. So, oh, okay. <laughs> what I want to talk about with there are a couple of articles that we had we had been discussing the last couple of weeks, and even though they're not at the top of the headlines, they're incredibly important. One of them had to do with suspected Chinese malicious malware that has been identified in several U.S. military systems. Uh, now, unlike other surveillance mar- malware they've detected from China. This particular malware is intended to disrupt operations and also have the capability to disrupt normal civilian life and business applications. Now, these attacks were first identified in May after Microsoft found malicious code in telecommunications software in Guam, uh, which is the home of Anderson Air Force Base. U.S. officials say this malicious code has infiltrated the U.S. military systems across the country and abroad. The director, the deputy director of, of NSA, quote, says China is steadfast and determined to penetrate our governments, our companies and our critical infrastructure, unquote. And the director of uh, cybersecurity for NSA said the nature of this malware is, quote, really disturbing, unquote. Yeah, it really is disturbing. Now, I remember back in the 90s when when we were really rolling in a lot of this, uh, uh, the um, and this is like early 90s, when we were putting in a lot of these systems to give us T1 capability to, to, to produce real-time stuff for the Navy and at our reserve sites, we were bringing in like uh, IT equipment like nobody's business. And I remember watching all this stuff being unpacked and looking at it and seeing Made in China and thinking, what are we doing buying all our stuff from China? Is it possible that they could do something to the equipment to make it inoperable at the right particular time is could they insert something in the in the in the software or like in in the code or something to make it not function at the at the critical moment of truth i always wondered about stuff like that and i'm not and, and i'm no it guy what do you think paul i mean did you ever wonder about that i always was concerned about it well anytime we don't have a domestic capability for anything that can compromise us, it, right? It's something that's always bothers. Yeah, uh, you know whether it's uh, you know medicine being produced or anything technologically. Right. Uh, you know we U.S. law says we have to be able to produce 
any ammunition we use here in the United States. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean we have to make 100% of it here, but we have to have that capability. But with the changing nature of ammunition, now that it's they're all smart mm-hmm. and there's uh, all kinds of micro technology involved, yeah. I think those laws need to be looked at again. Yeah. And we have to make sure that we have a domestic capability. Right. And whatever that cost, that's got to be the part of the cost of defense. Right. Well, we can't trust. There's no trusted players out there. No, there's no trust, that's for sure. Now, the Navy is in in the process right now of trying to save money. And some of the things that they're engaged in are a little bit um, questionable, I would say. One One of the gimmicks that they're trying right now is they want to transfer half of the fleet of what they call the Spearhead class, Fast Expeditionary Transport. <clears throat> they call these catamaran transports because um, of the speed with which they're able to bring them on station. Um, and what they're doing is reducing them in status to uh, their operational readiness to skeleton crews assigned only. Um, w- uh, this reduced operational readiness status um, is um, is uh, a way of saving the Navy 17.6 million dollars. Uh, for the platforms that they're talking about, which is really a drop in the bucket when you think about it. I mean, but they're doing it. Um, these are all new ships. The oldest one entered service in 2013, and the newest one went into the fleet in 2020. And the Navy only has 13 of these ships in the fleet. The bottom line is they're doing anything, it looks like, to get money to be able to put toward other priorities in the Navy. And we know what some of those priorities are, including... You know, uh, uh, TDYs to get um, uh, abortion services, uh, unfortunately. Now, the Navy also extended the service life, uh, which I approve heartily of, of the Arleigh Burke class DDGs, the destroyers. They want to add five years of service onto um, four uh, Burke class destroyers the USS Ramage out of Norfolk, the Benfold out of Yakuska the Mitcher out of Norfolk, and the Milius out of Yakuska. The extension puts each destroyer beyond their estimated service life of 35 years. Meanwhile, General Dynamics, Bath Ironworks, gets Navy contract to build nine new ones of, of the same class. So uh, they, they, they can have their cake and eat it in this case. They get to get the new ships, and they, they, they uh, extend the life of a few of them. Um, the, you know... <clears throat> The, the Chinese Navy right now is at 340 ships, the biggest fleet in the world, uh, and it's going to grow to 400 ships by 2025 and 440 ships by 2030, which means they're going to add 100 ships in seven years when you think about that. By contrast, the U.S. has 294 ships uh, as of the end of FY 2021, and um, the the prospects of the, uh, of a 2024 budget – We'll have it to 290 ships, which is four less ships by 2030. So we're going in the wrong direction. Um, also, uh, just this past uh, uh, couple weeks, one of the R.L.A. Burke-class destroyers, USS Howard, based out of Yakuska, fired its commanding officer just this past Saturday, uh, just days after he ran the ship aground off Bali, where it was scheduled to make a port visit. Now, this, there was a lot of speculation about why uh, Commander Kenji Igawa 
was um, relieved due to loss of confidence in his leadership ability. They, everybody figured it had something to do with some sexual harassment or something. No, he ran his ship aground. And that now, wait a minute, too. Steve. They they said it was just a soft touch. Yeah, a soft. Yeah, it was a, a soft grounding. They called it. Yes. Well, that that makes it kind of nice. I mean, it's not so bad. But you know, that means he gets a soft, uh, you know, kick in the rear end. <laughs> he gets a well, maybe, soft maybe time he can in the get Pentagon. A job. Uh, on that Italian cruise line, yeah. Where remember where the guy tipped his ship over in half? Oh, that, going that was by his oh, girlfriend's that was island. That was bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, so. that's a bad. That's a bad situation. But at least now we know why they relieved the CEO uh, of that uh, ship. So right, right, all right. I'm hearing some music already. I guess that's a that's a wrap. Perfectly good hour spent here with Valor Radio. I'd uh, like to thank uh, Dr. Rob Aronson. Steve, thank you. Bobby, thank you. thank you. Let's keep our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, coasties, guardians, our space force folks, all in our thoughts and our prayers. And we'll see you next week and Bob on Valley Radio. Yeah, I'm dressed up for success. From my head down to my boots. I don't do it for the money. There's bills that I can't pay. I don't do it for the glory, I just do it anyway. Providing for our futures, my responsibility. Yeah, I'm real good on the pressure, being all that I can be.